Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will continue teaching us from Genesis chapter 6, how God's Spirit was striving with the sons of God, and how God's Spirit did the same also with Zacchaeus, and how everything changed when Zacchaeus opened his heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Tom Cantor's written a powerful book that details 194 prophecies and fulfillments of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's a book that will show you scriptures comparatively from the Old Testament prophecy and the New Testament fulfillment. Now, over 500 scriptures are denoted in this book from Tom Cantor called Prophecies and Fulfillments. It's an amazing study that shows how Jesus of Nazareth was not just a historic figure, but the fulfillment of God's foretold plan to bring salvation to the Jews and Gentiles alike. It's a must-have for any Christian at Christmas time, and it's a great gift to give any Jewish person for Hanukkah or who may be searching for the truth and evidence in the scriptures of who the Messiah really is. Now, you can order this book from Tom Cantor called Prophecy and Fulfillment for a donation of $20 or more by calling us now or after the program at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. With your donation of $20 or more, get the Tom Cantor Prophecy and Fulfillment book, and it supports this Bible teaching radio program, Friendship with God and Jewish Evangelism through Israel Restoration Ministries. So again, call us for this book at 800 247 3051. Now here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, on the Friendship with God radio program. Father, thank you so much for your presence with us, Lord. That's the best of all. And Lord, we're all gathered here this morning, and our eyes are to you, and we're expectant, and we're looking forward to what you're going to teach us. So teach us now, Lord, as we open your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, Genesis chapter 6, if you follow along as we again probe out these wonderful truths in this passage here. Genesis 6, 1 through 8, it came to pass when the men began to, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair and took them wives of all they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, and his days shall be 120 years. There were giants in the earth in those days, also that when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, they bare children to them. The same became mighty men, which were of old, men of renown. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, the creeping thing, the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Now, last week we looked at this really captivating truth that in verse uh, 3 here, Genesis 6, 6, 3, where the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man. God striving with man. That was so amazing to read. And from the time of each person's birth, God's spirit, what we learn, is that he starts the process. God's spirit starts the process of striving with that lost sinner to bring him to repentance so he can receive God's salvation gift. And that striving starts when he comes into the world. And that's what's described in John 1, 9. When it talks about the Lord Jesus Christ, it says, That was the true light which lighteth every man 
with, that cometh into the world. And that striving is a true light. And it's a light that lights every man from the time of his birth to dispel the darkness of the deception of his own heart. So then we ask the question, this is interesting. You say, well, God's spirit striving with man, how does that work? Exactly how does the spirit of God bring this light, this by striving with man. And we saw that it was all tied up in the meaning of the Hebrew word that's used there, dun, which is the word that has the underlying meaning of judge or umpire or referee. And so we said that in the game of life, the Spirit of God plays the role of the umpire, the referee. There's the play. Both sides have their opinions. One side said he was offside. The other side said he wasn't offside. But if it's a civil game, then both the sides look to the ref to make the call. And he makes the final call. Offsides. Now, same way, in the same way, the Spirit of God comes as the referee in the lives of men, in our lives too. And we may have our opinion, well, it's so bad. It's not so bad. It's not so bad. But the Spirit of God comes as the referee and he says, you're guilty. It was sin. That's what he does. And what happens in a game when the players just stop listening to the referee? Well, that game now is in jeopardy of being stopped. And that's what's happening here in Genesis 6. The players in life have decided to disregard the Spirit of God as the referee in Genesis 6, 5. And the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth. Every imagination or thought of his heart was only evil continually. So the players are not listening to the referee anymore. So God is about to say, game over. And then brings in the flood. Now, last week we saw also another picture of the Holy Spirit as he strives with man. And we saw that in John 16, 13, the great passage that the Lord Jesus Christ uh, gave to describe to us and tell us who is the Holy Spirit, what he does. And in that passage, in verse 13, we saw a very, very interesting description of his work. And it says there that when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide. That's the word he used. He will guide you into all truth. He's the guide. He's the guide into all truth. That's what we're doing in our quiet times with God. We meet with God. We have an open heart. We have an open Bible. And we ask the Spirit of God to please guide us into all truth as we read. That's what the Holy Spirit does when the lost sinner cries out to God and says, Oh God, show me the truth. Then the Holy Spirit comes and he guides that sinner. And he guides him right on past the sham argument that, well, geologists say that the earth is billions of years old, but Genesis says it's only thousands of years old. He guides him right on past that sham argument. And then the Holy Spirit guides him right on past the sham argument of, uh, well, the Bible says that God created man, but science says that we all evolved out of some primordial pool of slime. Got to be true, I saw it on PBS. 
And the Holy Spirit just guides him past all that, see? And the Holy Spirit guides him right on past the argument that, well, the Bible's been translated so many times, it's impossible to know what it says in the originals. We have no idea. We have no idea what it said. I saw the movie, The Da Vinci Code, with Tom Hanks, and we can't, can't trust the Bible. He guides him right on past that argument because the Holy Spirit knows exactly where he's going to take this person, the lost sinner. And he's like a homing pigeon. And he faithfully just guides them past everything until he brings them to the cross. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He brings them to the cross, to the truth of the cross. And he parks that sinner at the cross. And then he guides that sinner's eyes upward as if to say, do you see that cross? Do you know who's on that cross? It's God become a man dying for your sins. That's an important truth that he guides him to. And and the Holy Spirit reminds him, do you remember what he said? He said, come unto me, all ye labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. And the Holy Spirit then guides that sinner to understand that the Lord Jesus was speaking to him when he said, come unto me. And the Holy Spirit then guides that sinner to understand that what he's looking at there on the cross, the death is an actually a transaction that's being made. It's a payment that's being made for that sinner's crimes against God. And then he's being told there at the cross, that's a sacrifice, it's a free gift. You can take it. You should take it. You must take it. And the Holy Spirit then guides by urging that sinner as the referee. He's urging him to respond to the call of God. And when the sinner does not respond, then the Holy Spirit comes along and he says, I convict you of your sin of not believing. That's what he does. And then the Holy Spirit guides him to understand that the, the, there's a meaning behind the resurrection. It's not just a story. There's a message there. And what that resurrection is all about when God raised him from the dead was God was saying, he alone is righteous in himself. And if you do not make his righteous soul your offering for sin, I caution you, the Holy Spirit says, that you'll never have an acceptable offering for your soul. That's it. And then the Holy Spirit takes him and guides him by saying, take a look again at the cross. And he says, when you're looking at the cross, you're looking at a battleground. You're looking at a decisive battleground. It's a Waterloo there. It's the battle of the bulge there. Because there's the battleground where that was the defeat of the serpent from the Garden of Eden. And so you're not only watching the bruising of his heel up there on the cross, but you're watching the crushing of the head of the serpent there. And so he says, I warn you. He says, the prince of this world is judged. Judgment, prince of the world judged. And he's saying, I'm warning you, the Holy Spirit says, if you don't join the victor, the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll meet the same fate as the defeated one the one who was defeated at the cross. Now, that's the truth. 
that the Holy Spirit guides the sinner into. That's the truth. It's the truth of the cross. It's the most important. It's the pivotal truth of the universe. That's it. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit, to guide men to the cross where he convicts them of their sin of not believing by, because they don't make his soul their offering for their sin. He guides them to the cross and cautions them. Cautions them. Do not disregard the resurrection. That was God's only stamp of approval. God only had one stamp of approval on a sacrifice, and it was for his righteous servant who's able to justify you. That's what the Holy Spirit's saying. And you'll never have an opportunity to have your sins erased if you don't respond. And he guides them to look carefully and realize that the prince, the devil, who they are a child of, was defeated and judged there. So we saw all that. So we saw also last week from John 18 how as the Lord Jesus Christ, after his beating, where his, the flesh was ripped from his back, and he's standing there before Pilate, and Pilate asked the question, what is truth? And the Lord Jesus Christ answered that question without even saying a word, in a sense. Pilate's question, what is, is truth, was just being answered by the Lord Jesus Christ standing there dying in front of Pilate. That was the answer to what is truth. Without words, his dying form, he was dying, spoke loud and clear to Pilate. What's truth, Pilate? Truth are these wounds that you're looking at because those are wounds for your transgressions, Pilate. What's truth, Pilate? Truth are these bruises that you see because those bruises for your iniquities. What's truth, Pilate? Truth are the stripes that you see which are for your healing, Pilate. What's truth, Pilate? Pilate, look at the griefs and the sorrows. My griefs, my sorrows, they're really, truth is, they're your griefs that I'm carrying, and they're your sorrow that I'm bearing, they're your sorrows that I'm carrying now, Pilate. Truth is that I'm willingly here, Pilate, and I'm here so that you, Pilate, can make my soul your offering for sin. That's truth. And if you do that, you'll be justified to God, Pilate, because I can make intercession for you, Pilate, the transgressor. That's truth. Now, that's the guiding into the truth, and that's the work of the Holy Spirit, and that's the same work that he's called us to do. We'll see that in a moment. And because a key verse for this, and uh, yeah, you should turn, please, to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, verse 10. And uh, this is a key verse because it's the one statement that the Lord Jesus Christ made about himself, his work, that really sums up his whole mission. Luke 19.10. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Now, you've heard this verse before. What's very important is the context in which this verse was spoken. 
We'll return with Tom Cantor and the Friendship with God radio program here and our Bible study in just a moment. Now, if you're enjoying Tom Cantor's teaching on Friendship with God as you're driving, listening at home, or downloading and listening to these messages on the go, we would like to encourage you to support this Bible teaching radio program so we can continue broadcasting on radio stations as well as providing free listening and free download through our websites at friendshipwithgod.org, itunes.com by searching for the Friendship with God podcast, and through sermonaudio.com. So please support the Friendship with God radio program by donating today. Call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Again, you can call us now or after the program, but support this Bible teaching radio program, Friendship with God, 800 247 3051. Support us online at friendshipwithgod.org. Thanks for listening and supporting Friendship with God with Tom Cantor. Last week, we looked at this really captivating truth that in verse uh, 3 here, Genesis 6, 6, 3, where the Lord said, my spirit shall not always strive with man. Now, that's the guiding into the truth, and that's the work of the Holy Spirit, and that's the same work that he's called us to do. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Now, you've heard this verse before. What's very important is the context in which this verse was spoken. So look a few verses up to chapter 19, verse 2. And it starts, this is the context. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans, and he was rich. And he sought to see Jesus, who he was. And he could not, for the press has nothing to do with with the press that we think of. Uh, Anyway, he could not for the press because he was little of stature. And he ran before and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste, come down. Today I must abide at thy house. Oh, he really knew how to invite himself. And he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all murmured, saying, that he was gone to be a guest with a man that's a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house, for as much as he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. So this is the context. Here was a man named Zacchaeus. He was Jewish. He was the head of the tax collectors for Rome. Very bad position for him to be in as far as the way he was viewed by his Jewish people. Because the tax collectors for the Romans were hated by the Jews. They were collecting money for their oppressors. And they were famous. The tax collectors were just famous for telling the people that they owed taxes that they didn't know so that they could just go ahead and pocket it. See, that's how they became rich. They took it by falsely accusing the people that they had taxes they didn't, see. And these sins, they weighed heavy on this Jewish man, Zacchaeus. 
And they were like secret sins, his false accusations, his greed, his thievery. You know, he, he should never be in a situation uh, where someone could accuse him to the Romans. Did you, was there a tax like that? Did you remember that? Ta- See, so he was always kind of keeping it covered up. And it was a miserable life. And he had de- de- betrayed his own people. And it made him feel dirty inside. And he could never let people see what he was all up to. He was always covering up these secret crimes. See? And this was a terrible life for this poor man. He was haunted by his own past. He was just trapped by his need to always cover up his sin, his defilement. And there was something that made it even worse about this man. And that was every time he heard his name called, it made it worse. Why? Because whenever he would hear, oh, Zacchaeus, it made him feel terrible because the Hebrew word Zacchaeus comes from the word zakak, a root word which means clean and transparent of all the names. So every time he hears his name, he says, oh, clean, transparent, farthest thing from him. And because he was shifty. So in verse 7, he had a very correct reputation of being a sinner. um, And he was hated. And in verse 3, he has one goal. He's so tormented. He says he sought to see Jesus, who he was. And that phrase, who he was, is loaded with meaning. It's the same that Paul asked the Lord in Acts 9, 5 on the road to Damascus. Who art thou, Lord? Who he was. And Zacchaeus thought to himself, if I can just find out who he is, I'm miserable in my sin. And maybe he has the authority to forgive me. Maybe he has the power to cleanse me. Maybe he has the power to enable me to lead a different life, a new life. But he's got obstacles. The little guy happens to be short. And there are too many tall people. So he secretly climbs up this sycamore tree. And and it says in verse 5, when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he saw him and said, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. So many people were crowding around the Lord Jesus Christ at this time, because it says that, right? And people wanted to hear him, and they wanted to see him, and they wanted to be with him, but he's looking up. He's uh, all these people around, and he's looking up, he's just walking. He's on the search. The Lord Jesus is on the search. And, And why was he looking up? He was searching for Zacchaeus. He was seeking to save lost Zacchaeus. That's a picture of how you and I should operate in life. Not wait for the lost to fall over, not be fishing and wait for the fish to jump in our boat, but to do like he's doing, be on the search. Ask God to help us find the lost who need to be saved. And then when the Lord Jesus found Zacchaeus, he commands him, come down, and because today, he says, he says, very big urgency here, today I must, I must abide at thy house. Not tomorrow, but today. And, and not I'd like to abide at your house, not may I, but I must abide at your house. Why? Because of 2 Corinthians 6.2. Behold, now is the day of salvation, is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. And look how everything changed when Zacchaeus opened his heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Zacchaeus starts off in verse 2. He comes to the Lord as a thief. But with one call from the Lord Jesus in verse 8, he's giving away half his goods to the poor. In verse 4, he's climbing up a tree and hiding up there to see secretly the Lord Jesus. But with one call in verse 6, he's coming down and he's making himself known to be a seeker of the Lord Jesus. Verse 3, he doesn't know who the Lord Jesus is. Verse 8, he knows for sure that he's, the Lord Jesus is God, and he calls him that. Verse 2, he's chief among the publicans who are pocketing what they had no right to. With one call, everything changes, and in verse 8, he's restoring fourfold to those he's falsely taken from, his victims. Verse 3, he left his house as a lost son of the devil. One call from the Lord Jesus Christ in verse 9, he's saved and he's a son of Abraham. Everything changed in Zacchaeus because Zacchaeus was seeking the Lord and the Lord was seeking Zacchaeus. And if Zacchaeus never sought the Lord, never went out that day with the goal to find out who the Lord Jesus was and if he could help him, he never would have been saved. Another wonderful Bible study from our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. And if you're enjoying this Bible teaching, Old Testament teaching radio program, we want to encourage you to support it with a donation, one time, online at friendshipwithgod.org. But if you'd like to be one of our monthly supporters, you can call us at 800-247-3051. You can also call us with a one-time donation as well, too. But call us directly at 800-247-3051. And for any donation of $100 or more, we will send you Tom Cantor's new Friendship with God Study and Reference Bible. It's over 2,200 pages with over 600 pages of Bible helps. has a genuine lambskin leather cover and gold lettering. It's got over 30,000 Bible column and inline scripture references. It has over 20 full-color custom maps and timelines. It's got a full 1,500-word Bible concordance. It's got a prophecy and fulfillment section, names of the Messiah section, the life of Joseph study section, and so many other amazing Bible helps. It's yours for a donation of $100. We'll be shipping this in January. You can order it today, pre-order it. For a donation of $100 or more, we'll send it to you. Tom Cantor's new Friendship with God Study Bible. Call us, 800 247 3051 or go online to friendshipwithgod.org for more information. 